as a young person or just someone that's new and that wants to build their portfolio at a rapid pace, it takes time to be just to be patient in these environments. And I want to pull the trigger on a lot of these deals and be aggressive. That's where I have mentors that also kind of give me feedback on, you know, this you have to forget, don't forget the fundamentals, right? Just because yeah. you think this might be a good deal, you really have to not get too trigger happy and just want to buy something. Are you looking to achieve massive success in your life without dealing with costly investment nightmares? If yes, then this is the podcast for you. Here, we provide engineers and busy professionals all the secrets and strategies to create multiple streams of income, build generational wealth, and live a meaningful life by design. Here's your host, Ted Patel. Okay, so today we have an amazing guest, very young guest, Jeffrey Donis. He is a real estate investor and a syndicator. He and his brother has been investing in single family and now moved to multifamily investments. Uh, they have been investing in Georgia, Florida, North Carolina areas and have a portfolio of uh, about a thousand multifamily units uh, till date. Uh, Jeff, is there anything that I missed that you would like to highlight? No, no. I appreciate the the intro and I appreciate you having me on. Um, just to clarify, I have two brothers. So oh, two uh, one is my twin and then one is my older brother. I'm a twin, as I mentioned. Uh, but yeah, no, I appreciate the time and the opportunity. Uh, great. And uh, nice having you on the show, Jeff. And uh, Jeff, let's get started. You know, I, I to give a detailed view on your story, like, you know, how did you get started in real estate? And as, as you, uh, as I can see, like you're very young, you know, and yeah. um, uh, <laughs> uh, normally it would be a very interesting story for any teenagers or youngsters who wants to get started in real estate at a very young age. So just, uh, yeah, let, let us know how you got started. Yeah, for sure. So I kind of have to go to the grass for each right? and how I grew up. So just to give you a quick story on that, my uh, my mom, I was born in Queens, New York, moved to Durham, North Carolina with my single mother and my two brothers and an older sister. I uh, grew up here. I was about 17 when I first started learning about real estate. My older brother, uh, he was in his college dorm room watching YouTube videos, doing what other college kids probably are doing right now and yeah. what they were doing back then. Uh, and he came across one episode called The Breakfast Club, which was where it was pretty much a, a sitcom show where mm -hmm. the host would have different guests come on. And that guest for that particular episode was a wholesaler, real estate wholesaler. So okay. that was the first time my brother had heard anything outside of just being an agent in the real world of real estate. And then once he sort of started looking into what wholesaling was and how you can get into it with little to no money. Uh, that's kind of describing our background. We grew up low income. Our money was very scarce growing up. And we all knew we wanted to become financially independent. Didn't really have the idea of financial freedom at that point. But then we started looking into wholesaling. And that reason I bring that story up is because it really started the journey into entrepreneurship and real estate financial freedom. So once you start listening to these podcasts on bigger pockets, uh, you start learning more about books like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, Cashflow Quadrant. All of these books. Eventually, we started doing wholesaling ourselves. So, uh, fast forward that first year, we were all in college at the time, and we were cold calling in our room for about two hours a day. Eventually, we got sent home because of COVID. So instead of just cold calling for two hours, it turned into an all-day thing. So we started treating it like a normal business. And while throughout while we were in the hunt 
for our first deal, we were slowly learning more and more every single day, putting a lot of time towards taking action, but also learning, eventually closing our first deal. And then with those profits, we invested in a mastermind group, learned more about how to do creative financing, like subject to and seller financing in the single family space. Mm-hmm. And then after that first year, we had heard about syndication through different podcasts, right? We we're always, we're still lifelong learners. Uh, but at that time we were learning about everything we could find and get our hands on. So once we heard about syndication, we took the same approach. We realized that was what we wanted to do long-term and we joined a mastermind group called Think Multifamily. So since then, that's really what opened the floodgates for deal flow, the network, the relationships and the education to, to be able to do our own multifamily deals. But that's like a really quick summary and I'm happy to break that down for you. And absolutely amazing, man. Uh, it's uh, so inspiring for the new generation. Um, you know, and I also started with uh, single family. I started with fix and flips. Uh, yeah. Then I started, did, uh, you know, ground up construction for luxury single family houses, as well as I still do it for a small, I developed small multifamilies also. Awesome. And same thing, you know, uh, uh, I'm also, we invest in uh, large multifamilies properties around this same, almost the same area, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Texas. Yeah. So it's going great knowing you. Yeah. So uh, t- tell me, uh, like how, how when you started multifamily, is your brother also involved in your business? Yeah, both yeah, of them. Both my brothers. Uh, yeah, we each have our own rules. Okay, nice. Is there any particular focus, like your brother handles acquisition, you handle syndication, raising money, investor network? How how do you divide the roles between your between your yeah. brother? Yeah. So my older brother, his name is Kenneth. He does our acquisitions and underwriting. So from that's from reaching out to brokers that when we first got started, just trying to build relationships, get on lists. Now that they know him more and he's been able to go out, walk a lot of properties. Uh, underwrite a lot of deals and give them some feedback. He's built relationships with them. So uh, now that he's getting those opportunities, he underwrites it and eventually is sending offers and things like that. What I do is raise capital and build our investor database by getting on podcasts like this, going out to networking events, and then on social media, I'm connecting with people as well, pretty much just building our, our network. And then when it comes to the investors that have actually invested, it's keeping them updated on the projects and then doing our quarterly outreach and monthly updates. Now, when it comes to my other brother, he's my twin, he does all the background things, which honestly, none of us are good at. So he's like by far the best at it. And it's our marketing. So we are uh, we're on every platform. We have a YouTube channel, a podcast, a, a nice website that he created. So all of that is what he does and sort of how we diversify and sort of break down our roles. Awesome. And uh, what, what are the selection criteria for your markets? Like how do you, how do you select the, uh, you know, markets, I would say? Yeah. So the first thing I, that I looked at was just geographically where I live is Durham, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And we want to be within driving distance or a few hour flight, each of the markets that we're in. So obviously Georgia, Atlanta is like a six hour drive from where I live. South Carolina is even closer, three hours. Uh, and then North Carolina, anything with within the state of North Carolina that I'm looking at is within two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. So I can travel there pretty quickly. Uh, we like Florida, obviously, who doesn't? Most people, I guess, because of the insurance going up. Maybe not anymore, yeah. but uh, we don't look there because it's pretty far from where we live. So that's mm-hmm. the first thing. Second thing is uh, we like to be in, obviously, the growing markets and a landlord-friendly state. So Georgia... Although it has been getting a little bit in certain areas, in certain counties, yeah. it's a little bit more blue in the sense of being more resident friendly. Uh, we still like a lot of the markets there. 
And then to even go into more of a specific location and sort of neighborhood, we like to be within at least 55,000 median household income or higher if mm -hmm. possible. And if it's not that, then we like the surrounding areas to be higher than that or around there, because then they'll, they'll show us that there's a path of progress. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what we look at in regards to markets. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that that's the most important aspect, right? When you, when you try to find the deals, you want to make sure there is a rent growth, there is an income yeah. growth, there's a population growth. It's a low risk area, like the crime rate, crime rate is low. And the other thing that normally, you know, I also, of course, all, all these aspects will look also. And the other one I would highlight to our listener is the difference between the rent and the mortgage, average mortgage payment. If that difference is higher, people are more, more likely to rent rather than buying a right. new home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good, that's a great point. And here in the Southeast, it's, it's slowly getting more unaffordable in regards to payments and how house mortgages. So that's why I think we still have a lot of demand for our units when it comes to our multifamily properties. But I obviously do some single family as well. And I'm seeing a lot of the principal payments or PITI is just going very high. And a lot of the times it's higher than what you could rent a property for. So yeah. that's a good thing as a multifamily investor. Yeah, <laughs> that that's true, actually. Uh, it keeps, it makes sure, you know, your uh, occupancy rate is high. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, any any uh, situation that you like to describe, you know, where uh, which was a challenge uh, while you were investing in multifamily, any challenging yeah. situation? Yeah, yeah, I'd say right now, I mean, to give you something that's current, it's as a young person or just someone that's new and that wants to build their portfolio at a rapid pace. It takes time to be just to be patient in these environments. And I want to pull the trigger on a lot of these deals and be aggressive. That's where I have mentors that also kind of give me feedback on, you know, you just, you have to forget, don't forget the fundamentals, right? Just because yeah. you think this might be a good deal. You really have to not get too trigger happy and just want to buy something for one reason. And I think obviously where the environment is going, I think it's obviously better to be extra conservative at this point, but also uh, there are better opportunities that might come along over the next few weeks. Uh, and not yeah. to just be trigger happy with that. So that's something that I have been not struggling with, but it's definitely a challenge, not just buying every yeah. deal or almost feeling like you're being too picky because nothing yeah. pencils out. I don't know if you're experiencing the same thing. Uh, uh, same thing. You're absolutely right. You know, for past uh, past about one one year, it has been difficult since the Fed has started raising the interest rate. It's uh, It's, you know, very difficult to pencil the deal because, you know, the interest rate versus the cap rate, the mm. margin is pretty wide. Right. Uh, once um, I, once it shrinks, then you might start uh, finding some good deals. But right now, the seller expectation is also very high. They haven't come down to the reality. Yeah. And um, the other thing is, you know, now I I think now the market will stabilize hopefully because uh, uh, the Fed has given given a just uh, sign that they might not raise. The interest right. rate more than maybe 25 basis point. Mm. So at least we know the interest is not going to go no more, no higher. And right. you can estimate that and take into consideration when you're doing the underwriting. So yeah. 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 And it's maintaining the discipline that we've had over the longest period. It feels like forever, right? Uh, not, you know, doing something with your cap rate escalator and just, or trying to assume uh, aggressive rank growth and just staying disciplined with conservative underwriting. 
uh, that's something not to say we've struggled with it, but I just see all these other operators buying all these deals. And when you look at their underwriting, it's questionable as to, you know, how, why is mine different? How are they able to pay these prices that we're not able to pay? Um, so that's definitely been a challenge, but I, I hope that in the long run, and I'm confident it will, uh, it'll be for the better because I think yeah. you never go wrong buying right. Absolutely. It's better to have a conservative underwriting than, uh, yeah. uh, you know, um, then getting back back to the investor saying you know we just lost all your money <laughs> right exactly right? yeah yeah it's yeah so that's good that's good uh, any any particular uh, uh, in multifamilies right you any particular class that you prefer like class a b c anything uh... yeah so when we first got started we were looking at class b to c you know, tip, I'd say pretty much the standard BC class, 100, 200 units, uh, assets built in 1970 or newer. And we actually did a deal in the 60s. And not to say that we regret it, but now in this environment that we're in, mm-hmm. there's two reasons why I think now our criteria is class B, 1980s vintage or newer, and we're open to going a little bit smaller, maybe 80 to 200 units, but probably just 180 to 150 is our sweet spot for the first reason being capital markets right now are challenging and raising equity primarily is difficult. So if we go after a large deal or let's say a class C deal that was built in the sixties, it's harder to raise capital on that based on my own experience. than it is on an eighties deal, just because a lot of investors see a class B deal that was built in the eighties as less risky as a class C deal for obvious reasons, right? It could be just more deferred maintenance or plumbing issues, things like that, that are all well, well, uh, I think there's good reason for them thinking that. And honestly, that's why we we agree with it. So that's one reason. Uh, and the second reason being, if we were to take over a 60s product today, first, I just think there's less buyers when you're looking at a 60s vintage and a 70s vintage than there will be in five years if you bought a, an 80s deal. So I, I think thinking long-term in that way is something we want to do and be more proactive with. Uh, because mm-hmm. if we have an 80s product, I'm confident it'll be pretty easy to find a buyer as long as you know we've executed our business plan and done what we had to do. But with yep. the 60s deal, it can just be a little bit more challenging. So that's that's two reasons why we're currently focused on Class B vintage 1980s product or newer. Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. And uh, any any specific uh, uh, value add normally you do on the properties? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because see, no, normally, normally you after, after if you buy a class class B property, right? The normal mm-hmm. value adds is maybe renovate the kitchen, flooring, painting, etc. Uh, outside renovation. Is there anything specific that you want to highlight which is not normal that you have done? Like something additional, uh, you know, which can bring uh, bring some additional NOI. Yeah, I think it's it's depend on the project itself. So on, on one project, what we did was. We had a uh, we have a gymnasium, and it wasn't being used. So what we did on that one was we added a basketball court with the intention of having different tournaments for the local AAU teams, which is a competitive basketball, pretty much at the youth level. And they'll come in and have tournaments, which will obviously bring residents, and we can rent that out to those that league. Uh, but on top of that, it'll bring people in the community to the property, give it a good reputation, uh, as well as hopefully bring it potential residents on site for little to no marketing costs, right? Uh, so you're yeah. bringing people on site and they might end up wanting to, to get a unit because of that. Um, but things that you didn't touch on were just other amenities. Uh, not to say they're uncommon, but we've added playgrounds, improved gym, gyms, not only like the basketball court, but uh, in-house just uh, like workout gyms. 
and um, barbecue and pergola areas for residents to grill out at. So things like that on top of obviously interior renovations and paint, um, increased and improved operations, things like that. And, And one thing that we're looking to start implementing is having community events right? We think mm-hmm. my brothers and I at least personally like to have a bigger impact. Obviously we're running this as a business, but I think if we have the intention that we truly have at heart, which is to lead with value and to help the communities be a better place for our residents to live at by hosting, you know, pool pizza parties, um, having different basketball tournaments within the own community, things like that, that would just bring the community together. I think that would mm-hmm. make it a unique place and yeah. the residents would actually really enjoy living there. So if, if you can just imagine if people that actually live there like it, they'll talk about it with their friends and then their friends may want to move in. Uh, and that's free marketing, as I said. So yeah, it's all word it, of mouth. Yeah, that's it's all it. word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And actually you're doing it for the that intention of, of trying to like grow the business. That's obviously an awesome thing, but you're just doing it with a good intention and, and a good heart. Nice. Nice. Uh huh. So, uh, Jeffrey, uh, just keeping time in mind, uh, yeah. we'll just uh, try to wrap it up as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So be- before we move on to our final roundup, uh, I'd like to, uh, if you can give some advice to our listeners on how they can get started in real estate, like uh, I would say not, not only real estate, but any business or re- investment related advice, what would mm-hmm. that be? For me, it's joining Circle's with and running with other people that have done what you want to do or are doing what you want to do. I did that by joining mastermind groups, uh, but you can do that by just going to free local real estate meetups or attending different Zoom calls online or just connecting with them on LinkedIn. And I think a little step above the free events is actually going out to conferences that are paid for. Yeah, you're right on spot. Yes. In in addition to I would to that, I would say, you know, uh, yeah, if you have a if you just join join a mentor, sometimes you know uh, they might help you shorten the time frame mm-hmm. uh, and uh, make you know, make you reach your goal faster. Yeah. yeah. So all right, uh, Jeffrey, let's go to the final round of questions. So the first one, you ready? Ready. Ready. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which is the one book that you recommend uh, that had a major impact on your life or your business? Yeah, I'd say Who Not How. So. Yeah, the reason for that is for me, being so young, I've been able to do multifamily deals and every other deal I've ever done has been because of who I knew. And obviously you have to know something, but it's typically not what I know. It's about who I can connect with, who can give me an answer, who can connect me with that other person, who can give me the vendor I'm looking for, uh, whoever can solve my problem. So it's all about who you know, not how you know, or what you know. So I recommend who, not how. And the same, right? With with regards to this book, it, it just popped in my mind, you know, it's a mindset thing. Sometimes some people think I can't do it, but if you twist that word, how I can do it, mm. uh, it just changed the whole perspective. Yeah, exactly. Right? So it, it just said who, not how, it just came to my mind. So I just wanted to <laughs> mention yeah, that. Yeah, awesome. yep. And, yep. and the next question is like, uh, tell tell our listeners about a situation that you came, came over, overcame with a strong mindset and which was a very good decision for your business. Yeah, so in the last deal we did, we raised a little over $9 million and it was during a really difficult time. It was actually last year, uh, right when the Fed started raising rates. And it was challenging for various reasons. One, obviously no one knew what was going to happen with interest rates. So a lot of investors were scared. 
our property was a bit older as well. It was a, a 60s vintage, as I mentioned, and that got a lot of negative feedback because of that. So with all of that being said and done, it was difficult, but we persisted. I had a lot of faith um, in, in, in God and things like that and just staying disciplined with the habits that I had by making calls, connecting with people, tapping into my network, trying my best to just talk to the people that I knew could help me get it done. Eventually we got it done. It not only gave me a lot of confidence to go after larger deals or deals smaller than that, but there were days that I wasn't sure if I was going to get it done. A lot of days like that, I'd say the majority of that timeline, we weren't sure. And then once you were able to cross the finish line and do something like that, it's almost, it, it's, a, it's a proof of concept that once you yeah. really want something, if you can have faith and just apply a lot of effort, you can get it done, especially when you don't think you can get it done. So something like that was a life-changing for me and yeah. big for business. And these kind of instances, right? It also boosts your confidence a lot. You know, you just, yeah. uh, you just want to take a next step, new challenge. <laughs> Yep, absolutely. Uh, any any one way uh, you like to go back to the world? Yes. Um, so personally, what I do just on like a daily basis or a weekly basis is try to help people with by giving my time. So a lot of people who are around my age will reach out to me and just ask for questions. And I'm, I'm trying to help through social media and things like that. But also just do my church. Uh, I give back to, to my church. And then there's another, I don't know if you read a book called Room to Read. It's uh, Michael Wood wrote the book, I believe. And pretty much about him building, he created a nonprofit called Room to Read and it builds schools in countries like Nepal and Guatemala and Mexico and third world countries like that. So by doing that, obviously you're, you're helping the community there, but it's an interesting story I'll go into really fast. If you're able to help a family that is impoverished and you help the, the female in the family learn to read, they're more, they're more likely to pass on that literacy to their offspring just because of the female raising the kids typically in a in, uh, country like that. So that's the power of teaching young women in those countries to read. And after reading that book, it inspired me to get back to organizations like that. So that's a, the third. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, that, that's a very, very nice work. You know, you guys have been doing that. Uh, we also do the similar thing. Uh, we, we put a portion of our profit for kids who are not fortunate enough to get educated. Uh, in US, it's fine, but back in India, and there are many other parts of the world, right, where there are less privileged kids who doesn't get the basic education. So we also uh, try to do the similar, uh, you know, take a similar yeah. approach that you have been doing. And uh, it, it feels great, you know, after you're done, you see the the change in life of their kids, their family. And yeah, it's all about, you know, you get the blessings back. Right. No, for yeah. sure. And, uh, yeah. Like you said, it's more you give, the more you get, but just doing it because it's true and you your heart, I think is important. Absolutely. So one last question, Jeffrey, uh, how can our listeners of Decoding Cashflow get in touch with you? Yeah. So my brother created a checklist for any uh, potential investor that's looking to vet another passive investment opportunity. You can visit that and see it at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash checklist. Our website is just that without the backslash checklist. And then you can visit us on our social media platforms at Donis Brothers. You can find me at Jeffrey Donis. And then we have a podcast called The Real Estate Monopoly. I forgot to mention that in the introduction. <laughs> yeah, no, yep yes listeners you can check out their podcast too and thanks a lot jeffrey nice to have yeah. you on the show thanks for having me thanks for listening to decoding cash flow brought to you by aster capital 
If you found value in this episode, then please share it with someone who you think could benefit from it and make sure to act on what you've learned. If you want Ted Patel to personally help you reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one call with him. Also, visit us at astercapital.com for more free resources. Content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. As always, please consult your own advisor before making any investment decisions or setting a course of action. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of Decoding Cashflow, and we'll catch you in the next episode.